back in the day, Melissa DeRose served as uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo's top aide, uh, indeed a Democratic strategist, and a best-selling author. We had her on back in November. Uh, the What's Left Unsaid, My Life at the Center of Power, Pol- Politics and Crisis. And for a return visit, we welcome uh, Melissa to the airwaves right here on Long Island. And a very good morning to you. Uh, this uh, is near and dear to so many. Uh, top issue, top issue for me. Uh, heading into this uh, election year, Melissa, without question, we look at our beloved New York City. Uh, it's hard to believe what has happened here. Uh, read your op- Melissa wrote an op-ed piece in the Daily News. Uh, I thought it was spot on. A lot of it was spot on, without question. Welcome aboard. Thanks so much, Jay. Great to be back. How you doing? I'm doing well. And, you know, you made a great point, I thought. You know, the state of the state, uh, from Kathy Hochul, not a lot regarding this migrant crisis. And that's an excellent point you made in the piece because we've heard it a million times. If this goes unsettled by next year, you're looking at a $12 billion price tag. She set aside, what, $2.4 billion or so for the crisis? Wow. That's an eye over no, in look, itself, right? Jay, listen, I mean, it's it's crazy on a number of levels because you look at poll after poll, including the the Siena one that came out yesterday, and consistently the migrant crisis is either the top issue for New Yorkers or the second top issue for New Yorkers. And I think that there's a direct correlation between those concerns and the lack of leadership, the lack of engagement from Kathy Hochul, and the fact that her numbers, you know, in the poll yesterday were all down net eight, you know, both in job performance and in favorability, because I think that people, you know, people respond to leadership, people respond to a lack of leadership, and it feels like this crisis is just sort of spiraling out of control. And rather than grab hold of it and try to manage it and try to demand federal funding, you know, look, this is not a problem of New York's making, right? We sort of inherited this issue. It's not something, there's nothing we did that invited it, but it's here, and it's not being managed, and the numbers, when you look at them, are, you know, eye-popping, $10 billion, $12 billion. And who is it falling to? New York taxpayers. And how is that right, and how is that fair? And it, it seems like, you know, the strategy from Hochul and from Albany is just to, you know, sort of ignore it, and you, you know, can't ignore a problem like this. No, you can't ignore it, and nor can you use the word free, because that's the that's the other issue here. You know, when you offer free tablets and free cell phones and cash and housing and meals, uh, even attorneys, uh, you facilitate work permits, and that's going to help this, this, uh, this crisis. Uh, that's not the answer. And I think, no, it, uh, I think New Yorkers are fed up. I think the country's fed up, quite frankly, and that's why you're seeing a little bit of reversal right now with the Biden administration somewhat here. Well, it, uh, that's a whole other no, issue. You know, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and you know, Jay, I, I actually wrote about that in August of 2023, if you can, or 2022, excuse me, if you can believe that long ago, when Biden reversed the Remain in Mexican, Mexico policy, which was something that Trump had put into place that essentially said asylum seekers had to wait in Mexico until their applications were determined because, you know, that process can take 12, 14, 16, 18 months that, you know, he really was effectively shutting down the border for a lot of the people who are now, you know, flooding in through New York City. And Biden's administration unilaterally undid that policy. And now, look, I'm a proud Democrat. I voted for Joe Biden for a lot of reasons. But 
The truth of the matter is, when his administration did that, they needed a management plan in place to sort of match their rhetoric, and they didn't have one. And so as a result, you know, Governor Abbott in Texas sort of stepped into the void. He said, you know, look, us border states have had to deal with this influx while you people in the Northeast, you know, claim to be sanctuary cities, sanctuary states. How about you have a little taste of what we're dealing with at the border? And he sort of maniacally but brilliantly, you know, put people on buses and planes and sent them to New York. (laughs) And so all of a sudden you're having federal immigration policy being dictated by the governor of Texas and it becoming the problem of New York taxpayers. And it's just insanity on a lot of levels. And so, you know, look, the White House has let this fester for far too long. I do think that, you know, the Senate came up with a compromised border security bill that was incur- that was incredibly strong that you saw the Republicans spike just because they didn't want to give Democrats a political win. So I guess so much for, you know, country over party. But we, we are where we are, and it's just it's not being managed. The governor is nowhere to be found. And this ballooning issue is just getting worse and worse and worse. And so and New Yorkers are stuck to your point footing the bill they're watching everyone get all the you know become the recipient of all these various free things it doesn't feel fair it's not fair and there's no sort of adult in the room taking charge and so it's you know it's perplexing we're in budget season albany's really not talking about it and so it's just it's sort of the lack of holding somebody's feet to the fire you see where this gets which is just it spirals out of control yeah, no doubt about it, uh, to the point where, you know, the governor doesn't even put it in the state of the state as far as emphasis. It's uh, it's unbelievable. It really is. And, you know, it's about policy. Policies are simple because they can be turned around uh, with a stroke of a pen. It's, it's not like you need congressional help that uh, Alejandro Mayorkas and this administration says it needs. It's not the case. You know, certain policies, uh, certain policies were, were working under previous uh, administration as far as what was going on here. Uh, We didn't have this type of influence. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think, look, again, I disagree with Donald Trump on a lot of things. The Remain in Mexico policy he put in place did have an impact, and Biden did unilaterally reverse it. Now, that's not, uh, look, the immigration system in this country has been broken for decades. And I do think that the parties not coming together in the last several weeks was a missed opportunity to pass an incredibly strong border security bill. And don't kid yourself, politics is at the heart. Of that. But at the same time, Biden, you know, did do some things unilaterally, and then sort of he, like Hochul, just sort of put his head in the sand for the since August 2022 when this crisis really got going, and now it's an election year, and he's having to confront it. And it's it's a, it's an unmitigated disaster. And again, you know, say what you will about the the southern governors, what they did in in making this the problem of New York and Massachusetts and Illinois and California, traditionally Democratic strongholds, was politically brilliant. And now all of our taxpayers are dealing with it rather than their taxpayers. Yep. Melissa DeRosa with us. I bet in the, the Daily News, I implore you to read it. Uh, really hits the points. Um, you know, Kathy Hochul back in the day as a lieutenant governor, I mean, I, I listen, we, we didn't anticipate all that was to happen, but her leadership, Melissa, I've been uh, scratching my head about. 
since uh, taking no. over the reins. I mean, I, I, I just can't figure it out. Now, listen, I get today's politics. It, it's certainly about the base and making people happy as far as uh, the party lines are concerned. Uh, but there are certain things in life that are like common sense. And it's about protection. It's about safety. It's about who you preside over. So when party lines take over that aspect, uh, I find that to be absolutely deplorable. No, and you know, listen, it's her job, and she doesn't seem to understand the job, and she's been in the job since August of 2021, and she's never seemed to understand what her job is, because it's not to cut ribbons, and it's not to sit in the front row at fashion show during fashion week, and you know, she likes to fly around in the plane. Like, she likes to do sort of all the ceremonial pieces of the job. The job is hard, and sometimes, you know, institutional conflict is uncomfortable. But your job, first and foremost, is not as a Democrat swearing Democratic allegiance to the president who is of your own party or to Chuck Schumer, who is in your own party. It's to the people who elected you, Republican, Independent, Democrat, whomever they are. And your job is to deliver for those people and fight for those people and to do it effectively. No one gets points for trying. And that's something she doesn't seem to understand. And she doesn't want to have a difficult conversation publicly or privately with Joe Biden. You know, Chuck Schumer, who is the Senate Majority Leader, arguably he could be doing a lot more on this migrant crisis in terms of delivering federal aid than he has. And, you know, Chuck is at random ribbon cuttings in Brooklyn for small mom and pop things, and he's nowhere to be found on funding for this issue. And, you know, back in the day when I was working for Governor Cuomo, you better believe he would have been out there holding Chuck Schumer's feet to the fire and saying, this is a federal issue. You pay for it, not my constituents, and it's not coming out of my budget. And it's like that lack of leadership, and it's it's because there's this desire, as you said, fall along party lines, don't criticize one another, don't fight with one another. And I'm not saying it has to be hostile and it has to be nasty, but you've got to have the conversation and you've got to be effective or don't run for the job. Those are the options. No, absolutely. No question about it. So back in the day, your old boss, you are sure he would have handled this quite differently. Now, I get it. Uh, I I absolutely believe he would go at Chuck Schumer on this. You know, and Schumer's been an absolute disgrace the way he has sounded off here. Uh, but how would Andrew Cuomo, in your eye, have handled it uh, through the White House? Because we all know it's about the policies and everything else. He would have set up meetings, I am sure, in that Oval Office. But what kind of uh, a verbiage uh, would be displayed in getting his point across, you think? Well, you know, Jay, it's funny because it's exactly what you said. So Biden is now talking about undoing some of these, you know, policies that he did, going back to some of the Trump era policies. But why is that conversation happening now in February of 2024? It should have been happening in August of 2022. And the reason is he was able to ignore the problem. And so, look, I think that the Governor Cuomo would have, from day one, said, no way, no how is New York State picking up this tab. He would have been publicly and privately in the face of the congressional delegation, particularly Chuck Schumer, and pressuring him to act and deliver for the state financially, you know, I think he would have been publicly and privately in the face of 
Joe Biden and saying you can't unilaterally make these decisions that impact these states without a management plan. So unless you're going to manage it and have found housing for these people, found jobs for these people, you know, you're going to fund all of it, then you can't do it. And I think he would have been successful in pressuring the White House to either make some of these policy changes a year and a half ago or actually come up with a real management plan using federal resources. And neither of those two things have happened. And by the way, it's to the detriment of the Democratic Party and Joe Biden that this conversation is now being had in an election year when they should have been having it and dealing with it a year and a half ago. I mean, to say nothing of the fact that I think he probably, you know, would have flown down to Texas and picked a fight with Greg Abbott. And I think he would have been at the Port Authority when the first bus arrived to intercept it and to manage the situation and determine where people were going to go, how the housing situation was, worked with the county executives, et cetera. But in that, there's just been nothing. And so, you know, government matters, elections matter. You see that during times like this when there is no leadership. Uh, listen, I agree with you. And I'll tell you something else, and I've been very tough on on this mayor. And you made a really good point in your piece regarding de Blasio, who, you know, listen, I, I still maintain he's the worst ever as far as the city has ever seen. But Adams is getting into that territory. And de Blasio, as you point out, <laughs> you know, the skill set that he had as far as making his problems the state's problems. You know, and you point yeah. out the pre-K and, and all this stuff going on there with the education system. And listen, he knew he didn't have the cash or anything else, so he used the press to make his point. I thought that was very uh, well well written by you. As, uh, as compared to what Adams is doing, which he doesn't seem to have a clue you know, the sanctuary city stuff and everything else. Uh, now he's crying out a little bit uh, a little bit too late in the game, in my opinion. He should have did it from the beginning. And, of course, the, the source, we all know, is the the uh, administration. And, and, and to just say, listen, Mr. President, we, we can't have this anymore. Please stop the influx. We didn't hear of that, any of that from Eric Adams. And uh, you pointed it out yesterday as far as that. Yeah, you know, listen, it's funny because I remember there was one budget in particular, I think it was like 2017, and we were dealing with a big deficit in Albany, and we had in the budget done a number of cost shifts, sending financial responsibility for things back to New York City, and de Blasio, and as I said in my piece, say what you will about him, and I have said plenty, I have been very critical of Bill de Blasio over the years, I'm not his fan, but he successfully got to the New York Post. He successfully got to the Daily News. He organized his labor allies. And on the front page the next day was, you know, Cuomo's trying to steal money from New York City. And we went through this long negotiation process where they got most of their money back. And, you know, I said in the piece yesterday, we've gotten to the point where so little is expected of Kathy Hochul that the tabloids don't even feign outrage anymore. It's almost like she has become an afterthought in this entire conversation. And Adams did early on, you know, attempt to criticize the White House, and he was totally unsuccessful. But in doing so, he missed the middle step. You know, it's sort of the governor's job to go after the White House, the mayor's job to go after the governor. And he's given her this path the entire time that left her in the state legislature on the sidelines of the conversation. And so just tactically a mistake, politically a mistake, 
you know, it's the kind of thing that rookies do, but you know, we're all in like year three, year four here. So people have got to get it together. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, do you, do you have a feeling, let's say there's uh, there was a, a gubernatorial election. Now, listen, Lee Zeldin made it close, a little too close for comfort for her. He lost by, what, 300,000 votes? If, if an election yep. was held today, do you think that would be a different deal? You know, elections are choices. So the question is who? And I think that the Republicans picked the worst possible choice in Lee Zeldin. I think that you know, he being so MAGA aligned and his position on um, on reproductive health choices made him not a viable candidate. And even despite that, to your point, she, you know, only won within five points. Whereas when we were running against Molinaro Astorino, we were winning by margins of 12, 15, 18 points. So elections are choices. But do I think that she is weak and vulnerable? Absolutely. And I think that that's only going to continue. You know, I don't see anything that she's doing in any of her choices that's making her stronger i think she's just sort of dawdling along to the detriment of the people of new york and people aren't stupid they see it so i think that if the republicans ran a stronger smarter candidate next time she could absolutely lose i think that if there was a serious democratic primary with someone who was well funded who was you know someone who ran on a platform of strong leadership and management i absolutely think she could lose So, you know, I think that she's still early on in her term. She's got time to try to work it out. But nothing she's done seems to imply that she's internalizing any of these lessons. If anything, it's only getting worse. No, I agree. I agree. She's going to have to make a complete turnaround. The question is how. Same thing with Joe Biden. You know, he's got a State of the Union coming up. You know, he gives you a little thing, uh, you know, from a day ago regarding immigration and then maybe a turnaround regarding some policy. We don't know exactly what, but. You know, again, the disingenuous nature as far as an electoral season has this in play where, you know what, in order to get votes, in order to to make my numbers grow a bit, uh, maybe, just maybe, I ought to think twice about some of these problems. And, you know, that's what you're seeing right now. No, that's right. And, you know, it's, 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 it's incredible because, You've got a situation where we're setting up for a rematch in Trump versus Biden, and people's memories are short. And, you know, people who in 2016 maybe pulled the lever for Trump and then in 2020 said, no way, no how, I can't do that again, are suddenly back in play in 2024, despite the fact that the former president has been criminally indicted four times, found civilly guilty of sexual assault, you know, and, and on and on and on. And it's people want somebody who's going to be tough and who is going to be effective and who's going to put, you know, Americans first. And Trump is making a compelling case to a not large number of Americans where, it's, you know, polling implies that he could win or this is going to be a really close election. And so to your point, you know, Biden ignored this problem for a year and a half, and now he's trying to scramble to make up for it. People see that it's an election year. They question whether or not this is at your core. When you win, will you continue to govern that way? And so it was just a complete and total unnecessary, you know, screw up on Biden's part. And they've got to now scramble. But it's going to be, you know, in my mind, the idea that Trump's even in play is crazy. And here, you know, the, they, they helped lead an insurrection on January 6th to overthrow a duly elected government. But here we are, and you've got to ask yourself why. 
And so I think Democrats across the board at every at every level have demonstrated a lack of leadership on a number of key issues that Americans, you know, are most important to us. And you're and you're seeing the fallout from that in the polls. Well, you see it. The numbers the numbers don't lie if you're a poll believer and everything else. Uh, and certainly when you look at Kathy Hochul's numbers, massive decline. Eric Adams' numbers are not great either. With that being said. Uh, you know him better than anyone else. I mean, Andrew Cuomo, does he uh, does he have a, an inkling, a notion, if there is continued dissent of this mayor, uh, would he want to co- kind of get back into the world of politics in that regard? You know, Jay, I, this is what I can tell you. That's a question for him. But what I can tell you is there are a lot of people in his ear right now. I think as time has gone on since August of 2021, a lot of people, you know, sort of with sober eyes and objectivity look back and say, you were railroaded. The entire thing was insane. And what we've been left with is a state government in tatters and a city government in tatters, and we need you back. And so I think he's doing a lot of a listening to those conversations. He is a close friend of Eric Adams. He wants him to succeed. He wants the city to succeed. But do I think he has another chapter left in politics and government? I do. All right. We got to keep an eye on that. Now, a lot of people think the same with Melissa DeRosa. I mean, listen, <laughs> you know, you wrote, a, you wrote a really good book. You've been writing some op-eds. You know, you're right on top of the situations at hand here. Uh, is there uh, some sort of a, uh, a want uh, to get into this landscape at all? Do you see yourself doing that or no? We'll see is the answer. I mean, look, Jay, I do an awful lot of criticizing of people, and I'm one of those believers that if you're going to do something like that, you've got to be prepared to get back in the ring yourself. But the reality is it's sort of killing me to watch this rank incompetence across the board as someone who used to be in the center of it and who devoted my entire life to it. So so who knows? It's it's getting harder and harder to sit out of it, you know, as time goes on and you see the further degradation of these systems. So we'll see. We shall see indeed. Now, again, everybody, check out Melissa's piece. Spot on, I thought, as far as uh, the uh, system itself, what's happening in our beloved city and our leadership as far as lack thereof. Uh, Until next time, we appreciate a couple of minutes. Well done, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Talk soon.